What's up, everyone? It is the Odds Fellow, and on this episode of Short-Term High Volatility Investments, me and the old man who bets are happy to break down the March Madness tournament and everything you guys need to know. We start with a few trends, a few questions on how to bet it, how to approach it, how to view it, and then we dive right into the hard-hitting analysis with a couple day one picks. We'll be back again for picks on day two, but enjoy the show. This is 1.37 p.m., Stories of hustle and grind from the intersection of culture, style, music, and sports. What's going on, guys? Jeff Sheesby here, a.k.a. The Old Man in Fact, alongside my main man, Ant Latino. You can find him at Twitter at The Odds Fellow. This is Short-Term High Volatility Investments, and we're coming to you live and one of the most exciting weekends of the year. This is March Madness. This is, what, 40, 50 games in a weekend. If you're not excited about this, please hit pause. Go run around your block for a second. Come back, shotgun a beer, then a monster, and let's hit it, baby. And how are we feeling? It's March Madness. All I know is that there are 67 games that are going to happen in this tournament, and it's going to happen, right? I'm speaking it into existence. I know it's 67 games because I did the math. It was a trivia question last night, and we got that trivia question right. Bang, baby. First include the play right answer. You got to include, yeah, good, you gotta good, include good. the plans. You got to include the plans. <laughs> and then if we throw the NIT on there and we still have NBA, I mean, man, Madness. this is a sports better's dream. We can only focus on so much today. So today we're going to be talking specifically about Friday's games, day one. We've got some spots for it. Yeah. And I wanted to start by leading off with you. I think you've had great success. The old man who bets on Twitter, uh, one of my early Twitter followings, a uh, follower following, a great follow, you know really botched that so i wanted to start with a few questions for you jeff and and really dive into this you've had great success in the tournament um you know on twitter find them at the old man who bets as he mentioned before right how do you approach this right you do have 16 games on both day one and day two this year it's friday and saturday what does that do for bankroll management i mean you're probably money lying parlaying them all right you know over the first two days that's the best way yeah, that's the best approach exactly baby i'm taking out my 401k and i'm putting it on literally every every play no uh you know i think we're taking a, a similar approach as, as we always do right and for me one unit at a time bet by bet right we build the house we build the empire and so far so good i think it's one of those things that um you know, when there's 16 games, I think a lot of people will, will shy away from bets that they would historically like if it was the only game on a Tuesday night. And that's obviously a catch-22. You don't want to be overexposing yourself, uh, but you do need to play the spots that check the boxes. You know, one of the hardest questions we get on Twitter all the time is I put out six four bets. Usually four to six is my sweet spot on a given night with my unit size, my personal bankroll that I'm comfortable going 0-6 and waking up tomorrow and still going out and grabbing a bacon, egg, and cheese, right? So it's just one of those things. I think you got to find your unit size and you got to be able to bet responsibly for you. That's not a question we can answer, but I wouldn't shy away from spots if you think there's spots that check the box because that's how you miss out on winners. Um, yeah, and you that, could always play the historically would win play the volume game a little bit. And to Jeff's point, he mentioned the bankroll and, and lowering the unit size a little bit. So maybe you go half units or quarter units and get a little bit more exposure over the board. So some different ways to tweak it. Uh, another thing that I thought was interesting, especially in the tournament, you know, money line versus the spread, especially when you're betting underdogs, right? Some of these spreads are tight anyway. Um, you know, low lines uh, in the first round, you typically see some larger ones just because of the seeding discrepancies in these teams. But do you ever mess with or look at betting the underdog uh, money lines? You know, if you are backing a dog because of the expectation that they will win outright? Um, historically, I haven't. You know, if you talk about the Big East tournament exclusively, then I have, you know, Georgetown, Georgetown baby. two days in a row, and then I. 
obviously I faded them. DA3, I don't know if you know. Back. They're, uh, they're an underdog. I don't know if you know. I know. I know. God, I'm so I'm so torn on Georgetown just at the macro, right? They played an amazing last month right. of basketball. They're peaking at the right time, but they did win the Big East tournament. I feel like tournament winners historically don't trend that well. They do have a pretty tough first round matchup. They are like almost too sexy at this point. Um, so I need to look under the hood there. I haven't gone deep on that game yet. It wasn't one that immediately jumped out at me. And, you know, it was one of those ones that I almost felt overly biased to take Georgetown. And because right. of that bias, I, I'm taking a step back. It might be the right side. It might not be. Um, but I mean, they, Hey, they've got one of the best big guys in the, in the, in the league. Uh, Ewing Patrick said, Ewing. Candidly that, Ewing, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> no, but he said about, about their center. Um, I forget the guy's name off the top of my head, but he said candidly that he'll be the best big in college basketball if he stays yeah. next year, uh, which makes sense. I mean, it, it's a, it's a force to be reckoned with. You watch that Seton Hall game, which is the one time I faded Georgetown. As soon as you get to the paint, you're being swarmed by three dudes that are six ten or bigger, and right. they have pretty tough perimeter defense uh, with the guards. So this yeah. is a, a really fierce te- de- uh, team defense. Uh, I didn't love the. I guess to stop and start from the offense a little bit, they were a little sketchy there. There was two or three times that they were down 10 in a blink of an eye to Villanova and obviously came back and, and kind of lucked that one out. But um, I don't know. I don't know. More, I'll, more to I'll come use on that. Yeah, exactly. I'll use that to pivot into the Big East and, and some of the conferences a little bit and some of the 512 spots. But before I go there, uh, totals. You know, you might see Jeff and I betting some totals in this tournament. I don't think either of us are high or keying in on it. Uh, but one thing to keep in mind that that I realized is – you know, all of these games being played in Indy uh, is at Lucas Oil Stadium. So larger, you know, the football stadium style setup that they do. Um, you know, typically you've seen some of the totals take a nosedive or come in a little bit under because of, you know, those guys adjusting to shooting there. Now you're going to have this from every game and, and every round. So it'll be interesting to see what the totals do and how Vegas sets them and how they perform. Jeff, I don't know if you are playing any totals to start. Yeah, none just yet. I think that's interesting. You know, there could be something to look into, you know, just kind of March Madness, you know, Final Four, big stadium historically versus versus the earlier rounds. Um, but I, even that I feel like is a, is a little skewed, right? There's so much noise there in the sense that those games, teams have already played a couple rounds before getting there. So they're hot firing on all right. cylinders, et cetera. Um, so uncharted territories, uncharted territories, I generally try to stay away from, I generally try to stay away from, uh, until you get four or five beers in my hands and the next thing you know, I'm betting the tour de France, uh, but neither here nor there. I can't wait to uh, hear so about right that now. future, that future winner when it cashes. <laughs> Can yeah, you pronounce the name? Nice. How's Chris the, how's Froome, the baby. Chris oh, Froome. There you go. Plus 1800, four time champion, tough crash at the end of 2019. Harley raced in 2020, coming back with a vengeance. It's an underdog story. I'd like to see it as a 30-30. I put 25 bucks on it. Neither Perfect. There. So jumping into the trends a little bit, last two tournaments, a couple flashes. We touched on uh, the 512 a little bit. That's obviously a spot. You know, we got to touch on it. I don't want to spend too much time. But over the last 10 tournaments, the number five seed holds a 24 and 16 uh, record straight up, right? So obviously those are all underdogs the majority of the time. Maybe you've seen some small, either short dogs or a slight favorite if something flipped. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, funny enough, it includes three of four in those spots are Big East teams, uh, Georgetown as a dog that we mentioned, but then also Nova and Creighton uh, coming into to things as a favorite. So you have Nova Winthrop, Tennessee, Oregon State, Colorado, Georgetown, and then Creighton and UC Santa Barbara, also a sexy pick for some folks out there. Are you jumping on any of those that that stand out to you? I know we're going to talk about Friday games a little bit, but if you had to pick a 512, anything? 
Yeah, I mean, this one I think is 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 very emotionally charged in the sense yeah. that we saw Nova lose their point guard and then lose to Georgetown. I think public consensus is this team's done. This team sucks. But they played a pretty good game against Georgetown, and Georgetown was you know literally a buzzsaw. Anybody that ran into them would have been shredded at least during that run. So you've got a Nova team that I think is is being beaten down more than they should. But then you've got a Winthrop team that perhaps is underseeded. So that's a bit of a merge there. You know, move on to Georgetown. We already talked to discuss how I feel about that. Not really sure what to make of them. Move on to, to Creighton. Same thing. They just got blown out by Georgetown. But it was the Georgetown effect. I don't think that's a really representative, representative of, of, of Creighton as a squad. Uh, and then combo with the fact that all four, four of these teams, I don't know where Winthrop is, so we'll say all three of these teams are playing West Coast games. You know, me on an East Coast, right. I don't stay up till midnight to watch these teams play all that often. So in terms of the eye test, I don't have as good of a gauge of, of how good UC Santa Barbara is, how good Colorado is. Obviously, if you look at the data, but uh, if you look at my overall betting record, I definitely skew towards teams that I can watch to get that eye test to back up kind of the art and the science of it all. So, yeah. um, no, you know, certainly I think helps. If, any, if any of these... I mean, you can make a case for the underdog, I think, in all of them. But I think Nova and Creighton are probably undervalued because of the results of the previous matchups. And I think maybe Georgetown's a little overvalued. And then Oregon State here is going to obviously need to hit. I would probably put them in the same overvalued bucket, too. I mean, you got to imagine they have a little bit of a letdown spot coming off of maybe, right? They obviously got the job done, but they won the Pac-12 out of nowhere. They beat uh, rival Oregon in the semis, I think, and then ended up beating Colorado in the final. And, and Tennessee is a tough team. Uh, so, you know, they walk in on their high horse, maybe a little bit of overvalued there too. So watch the five twelves. You, you never know. Always something fun. You're going to hear a lot yeah. of people talk about it a lot. 100%. Um, last two tourneys, which I thought was cool. Higher seeds have gone 43 and 21 straight up for a good old 67%, but only 21, 38 and one against the spread. Good for 36%. So you start seeing some of these dogs now creep in, you know, which we warn people don't just bet the favorites. Right. Of course, I've got two out of the three of my picks today betting on the favorites. But, you know, I think it's one of those things that similar to the Super Bowl, right? People hate betting underdogs. This is public money all day this weekend. The casuals, the Timmies, they're out. They're playing and they're playing a lot. So right. I think that inflates, you know, uh, Vegas obviously knows that that inflates lines a little bit uh, on the favorite side of things. Not to say don't bet favorites, but make sure you're backing yourself in actual numbers before concluding that this is a good bet. I think we've done a pretty good job of that uh, on two. Well, I personally think that I've done a pretty good job of that on my analysis today. Obviously I'm grading my own homework. We'll see uh, when shit hits the fan come Friday, but uh, just tweet at us and let let us know how it's going. We want to hear, we want to hear from you. Yeah. Nothing better than uh, Hey man, your bet lost. Like, yeah, no shit, dude. Like I lost money on it. I'm not particularly pumped about it, but I'm moving on to the next one because if I dwell too much here, then my emotion gets all off. I go on tilt and I make worse bets. It's a simple, but destructive cycle well let's get into one of your plays we're gonna go a little bit out of order here because i got a good segue to it and you can't beat a good transition jeff that's what's important hey man in seven of the last 10 tourneys going back a little bit a number 14 has upset a number three now i just want to lead again taking you a little bit out of order but i believe you like a three seed any concerns with arkansas I love Arkansas this week, man. And um, I think this is an unpopular pick. I, you know, I tweeted it out and somebody immediately hit me with, well, you know, they're number nine ranked in the NET rankings. And it's like, well, thank you. I've never factored the NET rankings in my handicapping once in the history of 4,000 bets. I'm not going to start doing it today on March 17th. But, you know, I think it is an unpopular opinion uh, that Arkansas is going to win this one. I think Arkansas, you know, historically not a team that people have ever followed along, not a team that's really made much noise, at least in the last 
you know, 10 seasons, whatever your sample size was. Um, and this is a Colgate team that can quite literally shoot the lights out. They're fourth in terms of overall three point percentage in the league. Uh, I think tied for third, technically uh, 40%, uh, which is ridiculous for a college team. You know, usually with college bets, like I'm almost thinking I'm betting on a team to not play shitty basketball, where in the NBA, I'm betting on a team to play great basketball. Um, but, you know, this is a, and they've got a guy that shoots over 50% from three, I think the highest three point percentage in the country. So, uh, you know, they, they obviously fit the mold here perfectly of a Cinderella. The Patriot League has fared well in first round games before. Uh, and they shoot from the two pretty well, too. They're 18th in, in two point percentage. So offensive juggernauts, we watched them last week. We bet on them last week. We won on them last week. But here I am. You won. I, I hurt. I hurt. The banner's oh, back yeah. there, right? I mean, I'm so look. Sorry. So I just want to say that I, I'm backing this pick because I don't care about the Cinderella. I don't care about the money. I just need this somebody. I just need somebody that can help get me some revenge for the Loyola Greyhounds and the beatdown that that was put on us. But all joking aside, right? I watched that game closely, and it was because Loyola couldn't keep up with them offensively. Obviously, right. you know, you step up in competition against an Arkansas, but you saw what this team could do offensively. Um, I'm blanking on his name, but there was a, a point guard or shooting guard. I mean, he came out. They were struggling, even though they were up five to seven, I think, at halftime. You know, he was one for something from, from the field. He walks out in the second half, makes one three. The announcers actually jumped on it and said, this guy can get going. You don't want to let him get going. Next time down the floor, another three, bang, right? And it was just like the floodgates kind of opened up and Loyola couldn't keep up in the second half. So I think you're spot on with the, with the shooting here. Yeah, man. And they've got a bunch of guys that can hit three. I want to say that's Jack Ferguson, but don't quote me on yeah. that. Uh, and the half was at five because I had it at six and a half and we lost because of that intentional foul. That's right. Then an offensive rebound. Then an offensive rebound. Foul. Then a put back. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. But that's great, man. Right. And, and the public, the money's all over Colgate here, too, according to the Action yeah. Network. 45% of bets, 88% of money, which is obviously a huge spread and a, a bit of an alarming one. But and at the end of the day, man, I love Arkansas here. Why? A couple of reasons. Colgate literally has played nobody. They've played only 15 games this year. Arkansas, I believe, has played 28. The best team they've played this season is Army, who's ranked 189th in terms of the Ken Pong ratings. That's pretty significant. If we look at the average rank of teams played here, Colgate's average rank of opponent, 245, Arkansas, 103. And all of Arkansas's losses have come from teams inside the top 50, technically the top 51, but that doesn't roll off the tongue as well. Missouri, number 51, Tennessee, uh, LSU, Bama, and Oklahoma, all very, very good teams here. And you know, we've been talking about this Colgate offense, which obviously is firing on all cylinders. In terms of adjusted offensive efficiency, Arkansas actually has a better offense here. Number 35 compared to Colgate's number 43, of course, number 43, still very good offense. We saw them shoot whatever. But looking at the defensive side of things here, Arkansas at number 14th in terms of overall defensive adjusted efficiency. Colgate here, 140th. That is a huge delta. So we combine the fact that, one, they've played nobody, which inflates all of their stats. Two, we watch them. You know, they're a – they look like me and you out there hitting threes, right? Not Still particularly a yeah physical specimens by any means. You know, I think just in terms of overall athletics, I think they're going to have a, a hard time here. Um, and, and Arkansas, they, it matches up there. Ken Palm here has Colgate at, at 84, right? And we'll look at teams that are in that similar ranking, uh, of course, net ranking of nine, as somebody pointed out on Twitter. I appreciate that. I appreciate people giving me more data points. 
Uh, but I promise you I did look at that. Um, but we're looking at Arkansas's opponents, right, of a similar ranking. Arkansas played uh, number 86, Abilene Christian. They beat them by 13. They played number 71st ranked North Texas. They won by 15. 64 ranked Auburn. They won by 12. 92nd ranked Vanderbilt. They won by 21. And uh, number 48 ranked uh, Mississippi. They won by 25. So every one of the teams that they've played that are in a similar ranking system right now, they have easily covered eight and a half. Um, and I think that's great. I think public is all over Colgate is one of those Cinderella teams. That's amazing. Even though it's only 45% of tickets, according to the action network, 88% of the money's there. Everybody that, you know, I posted it and I was like gasps, you know, how are you backing Arkansas in a 12 or a 14, three to your point, you know, the 14s win sometimes that's fine. I don't think it's today. No, I'm into that. I think they've uh, they've done a nice job this year. They're a fun team to watch. I think look for the pace in this game too. I think you you do have two offenses that want to move uh, quickly, want to get some threes up. Um, and like Jeff said, if that you know that Colgate defense can be exploited, um, you should you you should see some points and and some pace there. Yeah, and Love one it. stat that really jumped out at me on that Colgate, you know, defensively, I think they're like third or fourth in terms of steal percentage, and it really showed against that in that Loyola game. They have quick, quick hands. They're looking to snatch that ball. But nonetheless, you know, again, no no offense to your Greyhounds, but that is Loyola, not a top 20 team in the country. Uh, so it'll be interesting. You know, obviously you love to root for the underdog, but my money's going to be on the favorite. Yeah, and Eric Musselman, you know, we didn't mention him in that, but what he's done with that program, I think, I don't know how many years he's been there, but, uh, you know, he's really got those guys uh, playing well for him. Some of the recruiting classes I think have turned around. You've started to see it in, in their results the last few years. So I'm excited to see this team in the tourney. 100%, man. Yeah, so we'll avoid the upset there, but... Will we get the upset somewhere else? I don't know. Maybe Rutgers? I love that, man. What do you got on, on Rutgers? I know you're leaning there. It's t- uh, 10 versus 7, but they're favored. They're actually not, favored right? now, yeah. So I guess I can't call it the true upset right a- across yeah. the board. I think right now Asterisk. it's sitting yeah, anywhere minus 1, minus 1.5. One but, um, I, you know, there's some narrative here. There's there's some data here. I think it's it's a good spot. Overall, you know, one of the things I was looking at was the Big Ten versus the uh, the ACC. And what these mm-hmm. conferences did, you know, both got a, a lot into the tournament. Um, and you see some of this bleed through on Ken Palm, like strength, the schedule uh, statistics and, and things that are out there. But the Big Ten did have more in. And and because of that, you know, I think you also saw Rutgers with a very strong uh, strength of schedule um, or, you know, adjusted opponent strength of schedule in Ken mm-hmm. Palm. Um, one interesting thing. You know, just looking at this, Rutgers was last in the tournament in 1991, which I honestly couldn't believe when when I first heard it. Their last win was back in 1983. So right off the top, I think you got a program that wants to come in and 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 wants to win this game and, and kind of show out for for New Jersey, right? So 34th versus 42nd ranked overall. Um, so you know that favors the the 10 just by a couple spots, but I think it's interesting when you know you have such a, a tight matchup on on some of these seeds. There was one common opponent uh, that jumped out, and that was Syracuse. Again, another ACC conference foe for for Clemson. Rutgers did go back and and play and beat them uh, by 10 um, in mid December, I think. So it was 79 69 before they jumped into Big Ten conference play and kind of that that Big Ten buzzsaw. Syracuse is 41st, uh, you know, overall ranked by by Ken Palm, and then you bring in you know Clemson sitting right there at 42nd. So actually, a team they beat up on uh, earlier in the year when they didn't really have their legs underneath them. That team wasn't fully meshed. I think they were even missing some guys, um, and you know they, they battle back. So you know the adjusted strength, the schedule, seventh versus 29th. I do think that's a factor. A little bit of the age and the seniority on the side of Rutgers versus Clemson. 
Um, overall, I think these two teams, you know, you could probably call it a, a coin flip, but I do like the narrative combined with just some of the the slight statistic leans towards uh, towards Rutgers here. Yeah, man. In the ocular pat down, I was right there with you. Didn't go as deep on the game. I've got some data open here. One stat that is jumping out at me that that is concerning on the Rutgers side of things. 63.2% from the free throw line, the charity right. stripe, 332nd in the country. I hope it won't matter, right? They are better offensively in terms of adjusted efficiency, uh, and they're about the same on defense. So there, there should be that slight lean there, and I think the line reflects that. But, boy, does it hurt watching guys just brick free throws when you can have an easy cover towards the end of the game. Yeah, especially late in the game. So at least here you oh, get the, yeah. the, the short line, you know, and you hope it doesn't come down to a free throw to cover the one versus the two if you get it at, at 1.5. But I, I think you're going to get a, a strong performance from – uh, from Rutgers I like some of their players just top talent compared to some of the Clemson guys as well um, you know obviously Mr. Ron Harper Jr. is a stud along with some other studs on that squad yeah for sure and uh, once <laughs> Clemson for sure is offensively challenged at yeah. times so yeah uh, it'll be interesting to see if they hit one of those patented Clemson droughts but I like it man I support it where to next Got a couple more, I think, to give you a couple more. Yeah, winners, let's hopefully. hit um, let's hit Baylor real quick. You know, Baylor minus twenty six. People are like, oh, that's way too much, especially with our underdogs covering. I did look at uh, the Odd Shark database. Uh, one versus seed cover six cover rates. It's about fifty fifty over the last ten seasons or so. So nothing that really jumped out at me there. I thought I thought it would anything be there with the straight. with the splits, like first half versus second half. I almost feel like I've seen sometimes where those guys get down and then they end up either covering the full game or they cover, you know, the second half spread because it was a little tighter early on. Yeah. I wasn't able to sort the data on that yeah. database specifically by halves, but I think that is interesting. And that's one of those catch 22s for me in the sense that it's like, you think they're going to come out and then rest their starters, but sometimes they come out right. slow and then do the yeah, opposite of the plan. Exactly. But nonetheless, Baylord, you know, they're playing Hartford here. Hartford Hawks. Um, go Hawks, baby. Not actually. We're going for the Bears here. Hartford, of course, played nobody. You know, their average ranking opponent is 243. They've played three good teams this year. UConn, Nova, game one and game two of the season. So hard to put too much weight there. They did beat Vermont 130th in the country by six in the uh, in the conference tournament. But uh, nonetheless, I'm looking at Hartford's losses here. When Hartford loses, they lose by a lot. Seven out of their eight of their losses have come by eight or more. Their average rank of the teams they were playing when they lost uh, 178th. So Baylor doesn't need too much explanation here in terms of how good they are, right? They're 44th in adjusted defensive efficiency, third in offense. Hartford is 254 and 127th. There's your 26 points right there. But Baylor does have some things here that I think we're going to help this spread. Baylor defense is number three in terms of turnover percentage. That's more possessions. That's more opportunities for points. They're number four in terms of offensive rebounds, where Hartford defense in terms of offensive rebounds is number 211th. So even with misses, we're getting extra possessions because of turnovers. We're getting putbacks because of offensive board. And they're number seven in the country in terms of steal percentage. So just finding more and more ways to get the ball on offense to get us there to uh, to 26. And you know, again, the question, is 26 too much? I think it's no. I think the answer is no there. Baylor has cleaned up in big spreads this year, which is great to see because sometimes there's teams that, again, take the foot off the gas, sub their starters, whatever it is. It doesn't seem like Baylor's that team. They're 5-2 and two against the spread and spreads greater than 20. Uh, at minus 21, they won by 30. At minus 23.5, they won by 31. At minus 43.5, they won by 57. And minus 35, they won by 37. So that's some some big stuff there. And I wanted to look at – uh, similar again, similar opponents because these teams don't ever play anybody. So similar ranked opponents for Baylor here. 
Hartford here is 192nd in terms of Ken Palm ratings. We've got Louisiana, 206, Baylor 1 by 40. Washington, 173, Baylor 1 by 34. Stephen F. Austin, 155th, Baylor 1 by 31. Kansas State, 157th. They won by 31 and only won by six in the second uh, second appearance. But thankfully, this is the first appearance of these two teams. And the only real outlier to this similar grouping of rankings is Ohio State, uh, Iowa State, excuse me, uh, where Baylor won by 11 and five. But nonetheless, four out of five of the similar opponents have been absolute smackdowns covering the 26, even though it's not the same opponent. Uh, so I love that. And then again, just looking at margin of victory by rank by Baylor. Uh, when they were playing teams ranked 300 and above, they won by an average of 41 points. Uh, when they were playing teams ranked 150th to 210th, right where Hartford is uh, hanging out, is 24.5 points. If you exclude those two Iowa State games, it seems like Iowa State just had Baylor's number. That bumped up to 30 and a half points. Uh, and that is where I'm finding confidence in Baylor at minus 26. Those are some massive numbers. I mean, when you when you put it out and you and I were talking before this and I saw the uh, 43 and a half spread win by 57. I mean, that is that is it's like a football score. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you might as well be down in the SEC or the Big 12, you know, putting up putting up uh, touchdowns and, and extra points. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely insane. So that, of, the, of the number one seeds, I feel good about Baylor. Yeah. Uh, well, look, another thing that I think helps with the Baylor side, and obviously their number one seed, they did not win the the Big 12 tourney, right? Obviously got mm-hmm. upset along the way. But I think you mentioned this at the top, and I believe it's six out of the last eight uh, conference tournament champions have not been crowned. So the last six out of the six, six of the last eight, sorry, NCAA winners, uh, have not been conference uh, tourney winners of, of their respective mm-hmm. conferences. So I think the two that were uh, the exception to those eight years is, um, I believe, Louisville, which some would say that's that was not a title because it's been stripped. We'll some say. would say. And some would say. And, uh, and Villanova being the other one. So, you know, it doesn't matter, right? If they didn't win the Big 12, that's not necessarily the the thing to focus on here. That actually might end up being a better spot in the long run. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, cool. Alrighty. We got one last pick here. Let's let's bring it home with Wisconsin UNC. How's that sound? Yeah, no, I love that. And I was surprised here too. I think you were we were both a little surprised by the line itself. I mean, I did watch more Wisconsin, truthfully, than UNC. I probably caught a UNC Duke game uh that got a little bit of tight, might have went to overtime. Somebody mm-hmm. probably got screwed on that. Uh overtime where all bets go to die. But Wisconsin was a was a struggle to watch in, in the Big Ten at times. It always felt uh, like they were a little bit offensively challenged. But I think you you keyed in on some some different things here and Obviously, you're a little bit high on Wisconsin. So why? Is it a matter of just UNC being even more down this year than than Wisconsin was, who obviously struggled a little bit in the Big Ten? Yeah, I mean, the line here for sure was confusing. It makes sense when you look at UNC as an eight seed and Wisconsin at a nine seed for it to be a two, right? right? But other than that, everything I'm looking at has Wisconsin as the favorite. If we look at Ken Palm ratings, we've got Wisconsin at 10 versus UNC at 28. We look at those offensive and defensive ratings. Wisconsin's better at both, better on offense and better on defense in terms of adjusted efficiency ratings. 32 and 13 offense, defense, Wisconsin, UNC, 53 and 15, um, which is interesting. But these two teams do play very differently. Wisconsin gets way more of their points from three-point. UNC gets their points for the paint. But UNC defense here doesn't exactly strike me as, as particularly fierce from the three-point line, Wisconsin is number 69 in the country, super chill and three-point percentage, where UNC is 214th in terms of opponent three-point percentage. So yeah, the way that Wisconsin wants to score, exactly, how Wisconsin wants to score points, it seems like UNC is going to allow them. My one concern here really is offensive rebounds for UNC. They're number one in the country, so they're getting a lot of those putbacks, which makes sense when they're scoring all their points in two. But UNC doesn't shoot particularly well from 
quite literally anywhere. They're 270th in the country in terms of three-point percentage. They're 207th in two-point percentage. Um, and that, I think, is a big deal. You know, other factors here, Wisconsin, more experience. 2.37 years is the average uh, athlete there, where UNC is pretty much all freshmen or, or sophomores, 1.02. Um, what else? What else? Wisconsin. Strength the schedule, which I think is – and I touched on it earlier, right, because in both of these we're going, kind of going Big Ten versus ACC, the way the, the matchups netted out. And it was – as much as I said it was a, a down year for the Big East, I think it was also – you know, some would argue a down year for some of the ACC. So you're seeing that again, right? In the strength of schedule for these two squads, it's five versus 19. I think my discrepancy was was a little bit bigger, but, you know, similar movement, right? On, on the Big Ten versus the other conference. Yeah, 100%, man. And I think when you even look at common opponents, not too many, uh, a little bit of a wash, but it, it's a slight lean for me towards Wisconsin here as well. You look at Marquette, Wisconsin lost by two on the road where UNC lost by three at home. So, you know, pad it for three point difference there. That's obviously a lean towards Wisconsin. Louisville was a wash one by one by 37. The other one, one by 45. So uh, both, both with hell of, hell of efforts there. But then Iowa, I thought was also a lean towards Wisconsin here. They did play three times, lost by 15 the first time. It lost by four and five. The second two, UNC's only played them once, but they did lose by 13. So I do love that improvement over time from Wisconsin. But nonetheless, in terms of overall efficiency on offense, overall efficiency on defense, and just the matchup of how they score points, I feel good about Wisconsin here at plus two, and I would probably take them down even to a pick. Is UNC dealing with any uh, COVID stuff from the ACC tourney? I know, I think Duke bowed out, then Virginia bowed out. So you had a couple teams, and you might see this, guys just looking at the weekend games. Virginia, obviously, I think it's a 4-13 matchup, but could be in kind of a compromised spot if they are missing some guys. But anything UNC there? Nothing to my knowledge. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the only real X factor we can give UNC here, not data-driven anecdotically, but in terms of chillness of names, you've got Leaky Black, who's got the best name in all of college basketball. Great name. So if you're Phenomenal name. your names into your handicapping, yeah. do not sleep on Leaky Black. I also feel like he's been at school for six years. I feel like I've been hearing that name for, for a long time. <laughs> Him and Gillespie yeah. over on the yeah, uh, exactly. eight-year eight seniors. Yeah. That's for yeah. sure, man. And, and Buddy Boheim over at uh, Syracuse. Yeah, one of my least favorite players because he just <laughs> spoils my bets every time I bet against him. No, I love that. So that's what what we give out. We gave out four Friday winners. But what does that mean? We're coming back hard with Saturday, right, Jeff? Is that the plan? Absolutely. We're going to have another segment coming out similar to this for Saturday. Uh, should be released on Friday. Uh, so just after you're, you know, perhaps going into a little bit of a lull after the 12 p.m., you know, 2 p.m. games, right around 4 p.m. when you pick me up, hop into the podcast, listen to us, hopefully spread winners to all, right. all that needs them once again. And that's a wrap, baby. This is short-term high volatility investments. That's a day one overview. I'm Jeff Sheesby, a.k.a. the old man who bets alongside my main man, Ant Latino, the odds fellow. Great day for a great day. Enjoy that turning, guys. This is 1.37 p.m. Own your future. Start this minute. 1.37 p.m. is a Gallery Media Group original production.